Welcome to the Failsafe, a podcast about writing and failure. On this episode of the Failsafe, I talk with Kelly Link during the 2017 Mission Creek Festival in Iowa City. Kelly Link is the author of the collections Stranger Things Happen, Magic for Beginners, Pretty Monsters, and Get in Trouble, which was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Her short stories have been published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, the Best American Short Stories, and Prize Stories, the O. Henry Awards. Among other honors, she has won a Hugo Award, three Nebula Awards, and a World Fantasy Award for her fiction. She has also received a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. Kelly and her husband Gavin Grant have co-edited various anthologies, including multiple volumes of The Year's Best Fantasy and Horror, and for young adults, Steampunk and Monstrous Affections. She is the co-founder of Small Beer Press and co-edits the occasional zine Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet. The Failsafe is produced by Draft, the Journal of Process, and the Iowa Writers House. Draft publishes first and final drafts of stories, essays, and poems, along with author interviews about the creative process. Find them online at draftjournal.com. The Iowa Writers House is a community literary organization based in Iowa City that's dedicated to creating a space for education, support, and resources for writers. Find them online at iowawritershouse.org. And last but not least, special thanks to the Iowa Arts Council for their support, which helps make this podcast possible. Coming up, what makes for an interesting failure? How can imagining really bad stories actually help your writing? And how did Kelly successfully blaze her own path through the publishing world and all the way to a Pulitzer nomination as a slipstream writer? All this and more right now. I'm Rachel Yoder, and this is The Failsafe. So we were talking a little bit before the podcast, and you said... You wanted to know about failure. What am I talking about when I talk about this is a podcast about failure? So, yeah, I, I, I guess that it, we, and again, we were talking just a tiny bit before this started, but, um, you know, failure is, um, you know, writing is, is, it's not like a, a basketball game or, or even like a, like a, um, there's not a finite period of time in which you try to accomplish something. And then once you're done with it, you're you're done with it. Um, you can, in fact, keep on working stuff, working on stuff even after it's it's published, um, which which I have which I have done. <laughs> uh, and so, failure. I was wondering what you meant by failure. The points where you feel that you fail, or the points where you think, well, I didn't do what I wanted to do, but I I moved into the, you know a space that ended up being pretty interesting anyway. Yeah, and I that's a great question. I mean, I. I think, you know, because writing is so recursive and because we keep going back to what we've been working on and reworking it and recycling through it, of course, you know, failure is a word that in some ways doesn't really apply to the creative process, um, which is part of why I like saying, oh, we're doing a podcast about writing and failure, because in a way, it's sort of a joke, like, duh, you know, yes, it's about failure, but also there's kind of no such thing as failure um, when it comes to writing, or is there? And I think that's sort of a question I wanted to talk to writers about. I also, um, when I was kind of thinking about this podcast and talking to Andrea about it, I had just had a baby, and I wasn't writing. And that, to me, that felt like failure. Um, And maybe that is the way that writers can fail is by just kind of checking out of their craft. Um, So I was just, uh, you know, wanting to talk to other writers and create this space where we could say, hey, writing's hard. Like, I see you over there doing your thing and writing these amazing stories. Like, is it hard for you too? And, And how is it hard? And how can we sort of build community Um, by having these conversations about, you know, what we're doing and what we're all engaged in, because it can be really lonely and hard. In in, uh, the last episode that just came out with Laura Vandenberg, Mark, who, uh, Mark Planzak, who's another person who sometimes does interviews, 
there was a there was a conversation after that interview where where one of the audience members was saying, "Would you ever have someone on the podcast who was just like did never wound up becoming a writer and just like mm. um, <laughs> gave it up and and I think he said said, "Well, that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about kind of how to keep pushing forward and sort of productive um, failure if that's a thing. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I was, you know, in the last couple of days before coming out here, I sort of thought a lot about, you know, writing and, 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 and the idea of, of, of failing. And, you know, I, there there's some other things I will talk about, but what I will say is that the, the feeling of failure that is most familiar to me is actually the feeling of failure as an editor, that I have failed to be helpful in some way to someone whose book that we were hoping to publish, you know, that, that needed revision. And if there is a failure of uh, communication during during the revision process, and you know, there's there's in the book, and, and it ends up not being a book that that works, at least not for us, then mm-hmm. that that's a failure on my part as an editor. Um, when I am working as a writer, um, you know, I can put stuff down for quite a long period of time. And um, you know, do editing work or do other kinds of work, and then come back to it. And you know, I I totally get the feeling of the feeling that that by not writing that 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 it's a kind of a failure. But my default sort of state is to be a writer who really hates writing. <laughs> and so the days that I actually manage to get work done are the months that I'm getting work done in sort of a regular basis. Um, are are sort of it's not my normal, you know, it's not my normal day-to-day routine mm-hmm. um, that, that there need to be some sort of extraordinary uh, perimeters up in place in order to get work done. Um, and so either I'm very accustomed to failing to sit down and write, <laughs> and so it feels natural and almost comfortable, mm-hmm. um, or else, in actual fact, what I, what I feel more is when I actually manage to get things done, it just feels really, really great. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and that was one thing going, you know, reading interviews that you've done uh, and just hearing that, you know, you sort of embrace not writing because that's just how your process is. You write quickly. You embrace distraction. Um, you're a fan of having Twitter open, I think, when you're writing. And and you, I just found you sort of refreshingly unneurotic in all of these interviews. And I was like, I think we've made a terrible mistake asking <laughs> Kelly to come on the podcast. <laughs> She's just okay with everything. I, you know, I, 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 what I would say is I'm okay with being neurotic. <laughs> like that, that, yeah. I, I, I've just, I've hit a point where I think, you know, this is, this is terrible, but it seems to be the way that it is right now. And, you know, I will keep on going at a certain point. Having said that, though, I um, am working on a novel now, and that it took about a year before I was able to sort of sit down and work productively on it um, every single day. And, and the way into that turned out to be a program called Pacemaker. Mm. And my friend Holly Black set up a schedule for me. Um, she asked me how long, roughly, I thought I needed the book to be um, when I wanted to turn it in, and then she arranged the schedule where the first day I had to write two words, the <laughs> second day I had to write four, and then I had to write six, and it sort of went up, and I think now we're at about 200, and I rolled my eyes pretty violently when she did it. Um, the other method she tried a couple years ago is she made a chart with gold stickers, and she told me that I could give myself a gold sticker the days that I did work, and I said... If I want a gold sticker, I can just give myself a gold <laughs> sticker, um, regardless of whether or not I do work. But for some reason, the fact that there were the the first day there was only you know I only had to write two words, I would have felt so bad if I had not written two words that I wrote for about a half hour, and then I've pretty much uh, adhered to that schedule. And what I find is I do a lot more work than I'm required to do on that day, but the days that I haven't managed to do it because I've been sick or something, I've, I've actually felt, I have felt terrible. And I, I did sort of think, well, this is how writers are probably supposed to feel <laughs> about schedules and, and word count and things like that. And at the same time that it is uh, a little bit uncomfortable, um, it's also enjoyable to have a routine which is so different from my normal working method, which I think 
works fine for short stories, but a novel requires a more sustained mm. march. So this is really the first time you're kind of writing every day and being more regimented. Yes. 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 That's so interesting. So going back to the short stories, I wonder, so you're maybe writing more in bursts. Is that kind of how you approach them? And I also wonder, are you the sort of writer who you might kind of get into a short story and you're like, oh, it's broken and it's dead and I'm never going to look at it again? Or do you sort of obsess and insist until you get it where you want it? Yeah. Um, I think the only piece that I've ever abandoned was the first uh, novella that I, I tried to write. I decided I would write something around 40,000 words. And I um, actually went to a writing colony and worked on that for about three weeks. And I wrote, I worked on it every single day. It was terrible <laughs> and not in an interesting way, which is something I'd actually like to talk about, the idea of the sort of the interesting failure um, and this this was just dead in the water. Um, and I what I discovered is, yeah, I could do that kind of sustained work at that point, but um, my heart was not into it. Mm-hmm. My heart was not in it. And so I then spent about a year trying to get back uh, to short story length, which was very, very difficult. Um, but I wanted to get back to short stories. Um, you know, for the maybe nine months now that I've been working on a, a novel. I really just wanted to write the novel. I, I'm not, I really love short stories. I love reading them, but at the moment I don't want to write them. Yeah. Well, that's great that you're writing a novel then. Yeah. Yeah, I'm having fun. <laughs> um, so in terms of, I love that idea of an interesting failure. Do you find that the early drafts of short stories are interesting failures that kind of lead you deeper into the work of creating the story that you want to make and and what kind of defines an interesting failure for you what has to be there in order for you to keep hooking back into that work well I'm going to describe my working day in general Um, so over the course of a week whenever we are all in town at the same time or two of us are I meet up with two other writers in a house or a coffee shop, Holly Black and Cassandra Clare. They both write young adult. And we talk about what we're working on. We, I'm often doing editing work rather than my own writing, but we all sit and, and work together. And we pass our laptops around. We, if we are stuck in some way, we will say, can we, can we talk about this? And then we describe the problem that we're stuck on. And so when we have these sort of Discussions when somebody is trying to come up with something that will sort of move their, their book, their project forward, uh, the other people, whoever is there, sometimes other writers come up, will say, well, here's the really terrible version of, of what you could do. And um, they will offer a truly terrible, <laughs> rather than offering something which is kind of workable, you say, well, here's, here's a really bad version that you could use. And... We do that because we've found that, one, it's a lot easier if you were trying to think up the bad idea rather than the idea that's going to save somebody's, you know, ship. And also that the really terrible ideas are much, much closer to interesting ideas than ideas which are good enough. And when I'm doing my own work, I do, as I'm writing... um, you know, I will I will sort of sketch in pieces of a story or what a scene, and I will think, well, that's that's good enough, and I'm enormously dissatisfied with those with those pieces. And so then, when I get stuck further on, I go back and I work on the good enough sections until I've made them more interesting to myself. That that idea of coming up with the bad story seems so genius to me because. There seem, it seems like there's something really interesting that happens at either either extremity of a spectrum, right? At like the brilliant end or the horrible end. You're making bold moves yeah. and making bold decisions. And it is easier to say, well, this is what, you know, this is a really horrible, the horrible way to write it. But it's still still a sort of bold, singular direction you're pushing in. We got, My husband and I always talk about peak shift, right? So you're mm. either like peak shifting toward toward brilliance or peak shifting toward something horrible 
And there is something like really fun and freeing about like the horrible story and then playing around with that. Do you find you kind of then start start to play around with those and oh yeah. yeah i mean if if one of us offers a terrible idea up then oftentimes there's discussion um and i mean people who write or who like stories are people who like making patterns yeah and if you throw out a really terrible idea or a sort of terrible piece of a pattern then even even though it's a an awful sort of starting place you can sort of begin to construct the rest of the pattern out of that um, you know, out of that, whatever tropes or sort of storytelling arcs that, that we're sort of most familiar with from. And oftentimes we will talk about, um, you know, books that we have read that have bothered us in some way because it seemed to us that there was a, a failure to take an interesting risk. Mm. Or sometimes there are books that, you know, the, the, the pattern may be off-putting in some way, but it is so unlike anything else that you think... It's not that it's good, but it is so interesting that I can't get it out of my head. Yep. And again, that stuff is, speaking as an editor, the stuff that is broken in interesting ways or which is sort of really terrible in a genius way is much, much, much more interesting than, than the work, which is... Um, which is passable. Yeah, which, very which is adequate passable. manuscript. Yes. You're not looking for, for adequate no risks. Yeah, exactly. So... Now, as you're kind of, um, I forget how how long you've been working on your novel, but I th- are you like a third of the way in, or halfway in? You're Maybe a fourth. I fourth. Think. It's getting. I, I honestly, I'm, I'm still working on on the beginning, on the yeah, opening you're like, section. I have no idea how far in I am. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so how how is the how do you kind of feel or see the pattern making? as you're writing a novel being different than the, is it different than the pattern making in short stories? Um, or how do you see it kind of unspooling in a different way? How is it different as you're kind of going into this longer work where you don't, you know, know if it's going to be 200 pages or 400 pages or. I mean, the beginning tells you a lot about how much space the rest of it is going to need, you know, the pacing. And, And in that way, it's a lot like a short story. So the way that, I typically figure out a short story is I have a sort of idea of a character or a situation. I have a sense of what will happen at the end. And then I figure out the people some more. And then so I spend a lot of time getting the beginning set up so I can pull off the ending that I want. And then there's this section that I think of as the middle, which is where where things sort of have to progress. There has to be movement. You have to sort of drop in the stuff that sort of makes the bridge between the beginning and and the end. But I know what the end is. And it turns out that the novel is similar to that in the sense that as I I had a fake sense of what the ending, I had a fake sense of an ending that I thought would be pretty cool. And I started writing the beginning. And as I get closer to working on the middle, the middle is is this terrible space in which you think there's a lot of stuff I have to do here. Setup is a lot of fun. You know, setup in a short story or novel you're introducing interesting things. You're putting in clues. You're, um, you know, getting inside. Uh, in this case, I'm getting inside many different points of view, um, and I can sort of do whatever I want. But the more I do at the beginning, the sort of less I can do in the middle. I'm okay with the ending being fixed. The ending being a fixed place is fine. But that middle where all the stuff is going to have to sort of begin to um, knit together um, seems seems like a lot of work <laughs> and so as I as I go I'm gonna have to figure out well I want it to be I want it to be fun though I want I want it to be entertaining not just to feel as if here we are in the middle in which some things are explained and some people move around and do some stuff yeah which I sometimes feel when I'm writing and also sometimes <laughs> when I'm reading yeah and the more I think about novels I've never never attempted to write a novel but I've already completely psyched myself out because I the more I think about it I'm like what even is a novel you know like is it a short story that you just take and make really long like what do you do in the middle you just kind of like dance around for a while um but another thing that I really just hearing you talk there and then I also reading interviews with you um I love that you talk about plot and making it interesting and having things happen and I also saw that you you had a pretty kind of conventional literary schooling you went to Columbia you went to UNC Greensboro and I was wondering did you guys talk about 
plot and making things interesting and making things happen and um, as you were getting your MFA and sort of where because I'm, I'm guessing it was probably a pretty kind of traditional literary MFA program and I'm wondering what your experience was in within that sort of realm coming in because were you writing sort of slipstream stuff? I was writing science fiction. Science fiction. Yeah. Was your experience positive, negative, some, somewhere in the middle and were your were people kind of considering the same thing you were considering with your work? Yes and no. I mean, I really love workshop. I love sitting in a room and listening to people tell you, um, you know, go around the circle and hear people describe what they've read, their experience of reading, what they think it means, what they think the story is about, because um, in a good workshop, people's um, readings will be so different from each other that it, it almost in some ways, you know, you have arguments over what people think a story is about. You know, I went from the MFA program into a six-week workshop, which was specifically for science fiction and fantasy writers. And that was very, very focused on plot and on, um, you know, sort of the body of science fiction in general, the work the work that, you know, the work in genre magazines that had been published in the 50s and 60s and 70s and then in the 80s. Um, and so everybody in that workshop was really familiar with a very large body of work and um, so it's possible to talk about the stories that we were writing in response to the kinds of things that we read which is what you do in a workshop it's just that the reading was more congruent Mm -hmm. in the science fiction fantasy workshop and that the instructors um, were much more focused on you know in order to sell and in order to find a readership uh, work should be the story should be pleasurable you know it doesn't have to be pleasurable in the sense that it is um, sort of fits a certain kind of um, escapist mode, although it can do that, um, but just in the sense that it makes you think in a way that is pleasurable, or the writing is playful in a way that is pleasurable, or the ideas, all of that. Um, and I, th- I think that that workshop was the first time, though, that people talked seriously about plot. And I think the best description I've heard in the last couple of years of, about plot was a genre writer who said that, um, you know, that the way that you structure a, a book, the way that you move a reader through a book is that you um, create in them the feeling that the next scene, as they come, as they leave one scene and come into the next scene, that the scene is going to be even more interesting and exciting than the scene they just exited. Um, and so you, you sort of, you keep the book moving in this sort of narrative arc where they never think, well, I like that, you know, that well, now I've, now I've lost interest in, in what I was reading. And it's not, again, that you have to sort of conform to some sort of, um, you know, particular mode of genre, but just that, you know, that the, 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 there's no, nothing is a placeholder. Everything, in fact, should sort of move in a, in a coherent upward direction in, in terms of readerly interest. Yeah, and I, I I love those conversations too. And my embedded gripe in that question, which you didn't take the bait for, because you don't, I don't think you gripe to the same degree I do. But my embedded gripe in it was, I felt there to be, you know, a big lack of talking about sort of plot and is this interesting or does anything happen in the story you know that but but I also suppose that people can have different aims I guess with short stories right and and perhaps that's not the sort of short story that some people are um trying to write and that's cool too yeah and I just I just want to know more about plot and how to make things go and how to keep that tension up well the thing that that Holly and Cassie and I do for each other and other friends because sometimes we'll be a much bigger group mm-hmm. um, when we read something is uh, we will say to each other well I, I knew where this was going you know I, I I knew too soon what the direction of this because mm-hmm. depending I, mean, I this is not necessarily depending on the genre young adult or romance or science fiction that we're working in but just in terms of you know, at a certain point in the pattern, if you've read a lot of stuff, patterns 
if they aren't broken in certain ways, become much more predictable. And so oftentimes what we do in revision is we're marking the places where we lose interest because the pattern is we we can supply the pattern in our own head, which means we're not reading as closely anymore. Yeah, and that, did you read O. Henry? You yeah. Love, yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, the, that's yeah. like the wonderful quality of O. Henry. And I just last night read um, I Can See Right Through You. <gasps> and it just, it had like that O. Henry, mo- you know, moment at the end where the, just the whole thing turns and you're like, oh, the story, like, I'm not going to give anything away. But at the end, there's just this twist and then the story just walks right out the door and like shuts it. And you're like, what just happened? It's really great. I like that. I like the description of the story. Walking out the door. I had to go. I'm like, wait, you left too too quickly. I had to go back and reread the ending. It's really great. So I'm wondering uh, also about just you are a publisher, too. You started Small Beer Press. Um, why did you want to start Small Beer? And then I'm also interested in um, your decision to publish your first two books with Small Beer. Well, I mean, this ties in somewhat to the the theme of failure in the sense that at a certain point I had published enough stories in science fiction magazines and some literary magazines that I had a collection's worth of material. And um, because of... um, a couple of friends who were editors from magazines, editors from publishing houses, started asking to see the collection. And so I would send it out, and they'd say, these are great, do you have a novel? And I really didn't want to write a novel. Mm -hmm. And so they would say, well, we can't publish a collection on our own. And so by that point, Gavin and I had been putting out a zine for about five years, and we'd done two chapbooks. And um, we thought, well, you know... There are other writers clearly in this boat. We could name writers um, who had been publishing in magazine, magazine of fantasy and science fiction, other places where we'd seen, you know, seven or eight stories from them. So we decided that we would start a press. And so it wasn't, I mean, what I will say is the failure to um, sell a collection was not then followed by the success of self-publishing collection, the failure to find um, the right editor, the right press, meant that we um, realized that uh, there was a space for us to start a publishing company. And um, it's not something I would recommend to people (laughs) unless they really, really have as great an interest in editing and publishing as they do in in writing. Um, I think one of the things that failure does for you is it uh, sort of it can provide I success is very confusing you know and and especially for a writer I think success is often really mixed up with negative stuff as well so all of my friends who are much more successful than I am many good things happen but they also will get terrible reviews or people saying well these 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 books aren't you know these these why would anybody read these I you know, and so I think that even when you're being told that you're successful um, as a writer, oftentimes at the same time you're being told that you're not. Mm-hmm. And I think the 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 failures that are useful are sort of the failures that are more personal, where you think, well, I I I couldn't figure out how to do this thing, or this thing is not going to be sort of a viable career path for me. So what else am I interested in? And um, one of my friends has made up a worksheet for writers which is sort of um, she has uh, she asks you what your goals are as a writer sort of within a year within five years within ten years maybe it's a year I think three years and and five years and um, you know they are she sort of categorizes them as things that are achievable sort of under your own steam like how much you're going to write what kinds of projects you're going to work on the the sort of things that you want to do and then the things that you want that are really dependent on other people, mm. you know, somebody being interested in publishing them or being given opportunities. You know, if you think, well, I really want to go to a writer's colony at some point, that's not entirely under your control. But, you know, if so you can have that as a goal, but you need to have goals also that, that are really, you know, just something that you can take care of on your own. Mm. And then um, also she asks you to think about what kind of career you want to have. You know, do you want to have a career where you go to a lot of festivals or do you want a career where you um, have a certain kind of audience? Do you want a career where you 
really have a close relationship with the people who love your books or do you want to sort of you know uh, not be quite a, quite as much of a public figure when um, Suzanne Collins sold The Hunger Games she told her editor there she said I'm not going to do touring and I don't want to do events and I really don't want to do interviews either and they said okay all right and so that's something which you know depending on how badly somebody wants to publish you you have greater or lesser ability to control for the kind of career that you want to have you know I have friends who also publish a book or begin to think about publishing and 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 uh, really worry about whether or not they should have any kind of presence on social media or not um and you know again that's you know that's this form you sort of you write down what you think you would enjoy what you think you'd be good at what would be comfortable and what you think would be be good for your career all of that stuff yeah i mean i i love that idea of of being proactive about it there's i feel like in the literary world there are so many shoulds that you can just completely take and run with without ever thinking well what what do I want and like what sort of writer do I want to be and what sort of career um and the shoulds just kind of become the default well maybe you don't want to be on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and it'll drive you completely bonkers then probably you shouldn't do that even if your publicist is telling you you should so I'm wondering since you were nominated for the Pulitzer Prize if your relationship to your work or your writing has changed at all or how you think about writing, what's changed? You know, I think that the, um, the, the thing about that that is, is, is useful is that um, Get in Trouble was the first adult collection that I had sold um, straight out to, to a publisher, Random House, mm. and... I had had such a wonderful experience being published by Random House, and I had liked my editor such a great deal that the you know the the Pulitzer thing felt like an enormous relief because I thought, oh good, now he won't be sorry that he bought this book. You know, I don't think he was anyway, <laughs> but I thought I don't even have to worry about that anymore. I, I think that I think that this will probably make him pretty happy, and it is also it's a very <laughs> low-key sort of um, thing to be a, a finalist for. There's, you know, if you win, there's a ceremony. If you're a finalist, uh, they don't even call you. <laughs> I think that my editor and my agent found out from people on Twitter. Um, I just want the record yeah. to reflect that Kelly just said the Pulitzer is a really low-key thing to be nominated for. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, there are a lot of awards where, you know, months ahead of time, you're told that you're up for something. Yeah, right. You know, you then... And then you um, just get to brood over it for a Yeah, months. and it's yeah. terrible. I mean, they're also terrible to win because oftentimes you've read the other work and you think, well, I really like that book. <laughs> you know, that is a great book. I have mixed feelings about my, my own and... You know, I would, you know, this is not a comfortable equation. Whereas the Pulitzer, you sort of, I got a, a call when I was driving home from, from Ithaca. Um, yeah, it was very low-key. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just getting back to day in, day out writing. Um, so I take it you probably have some good days writing where it's feeling great and maybe some days where in fact I know you have some days where you don't like to be writing because I do happen to follow Kelly on Twitter and there will be a Twitter portion of this interview because there's just so many gems in your Twitter feed but I'm wondering what you do when you're having a bad day writing you just write anyway do you need a trick I mean I know you had your kind of trainer telling you to how many words to write but do you have any tricks for kind of for making myself pushing through it. and making it happen, or just what do you do on a bad writing day? I read the news a lot. <laughs> um, uh, Cassie will often put on a horror movie, so that will be on in the background as we work. And if it's a good horror movie, then I can sort of. And the writing day is terrible. Then I can I can sort of think, well, this is research. This is useful. Yeah, you get a good movie in. <laughs> um, and then almost always, at some point during the day, somebody wants to talk about something that they've read or something that they're working on. And so, those conversations you can really extend those. And <laughs> and and also because of the press, you know, I'm usually working on a cover of a book, or there's somebody I need to get edits back to. Mm-hmm. 
um, write jacket copy for, that, that kind of thing. So there are always things that need to be done. It's really just a matter of sort of, you know, eventually coming coming back and doing a little bit more writing. Yeah, yeah. It sounds so delightful to have some people to That's write great. with. Um, I don't know if I could do it, It just, but it seems like a really nice setup. Um, I think that it is worth, if, if you guys write, it's worth figuring out if you're somebody who is happier being isolated or happier feeling that other people are suffering along with you. Yeah, which, right. Which, you know, if, if I'm working, uh, you know, it's not as if I'm the only miserable person. I look over <laughs> and usually there are two other people who are freaking out about something that they're working on. Yeah. And, um, you know, not that, that that gives me joy, but it, it I feel a sense of companionship. I think this is, this is right. good. Right. We're all, yeah. this is, this, it's terrible. This is terrible for everybody. <laughs> well, and I think I have the should in my head that I should just be really suffering alone in a room by myself. And that's writing. But, why, I mean, why not suffer with other people? That sounds great. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> A few, I really want to ask you this question. So these are two tweets from um, your feed, which caught my eye. I'm at point where I'd rather eat my own elbow than write another 400 words. So I guess I am going to write resentfully and sullenly for a while. Follow up, new tweet. Also, my sister sent me a video of my brother's cat riding a skateboard. And I wish that was how I wrote, like a cat on a skateboard. So um, why – can you talk specifically about why you hate writing? I, I also hate writing. <laughs> um, I also hate the hashtag on Twitter. Have you seen people do the am writing? They'll be like, just – I have a new fresh <laughs> cup of coffee and the sun is shining and I just jotted down 1,200 words, hashtag am writing. And I'm like, unfollow. <laughs> uh, mine are like, I hate writing, am right, hashtag am writing. Uh. So I'm wondering, why do you hate writing? Um, and what is writing like a cat on a skateboard? You know, I, I okay, I do know a writer who, who writes that way. Um, years ago, I used to go out to California once a year and work for about a month with a writer, Karen Joy Fowler mm-hmm. in Davis. And there was another writer there, Kim Stanley Robinson, that she would meet up and work with as well. And so we would all go work. And she and I would show up, and then Stan would show up, and he would have, I think he ran six miles, and then he would write six pages in longhand, and then he would nap while we worked. (laughs) (laughs) And he he just was totally into the groove. That was, he ran six miles, he felt good about that, he'd sit down, he'd write six pages, and he would feel really good about and then he would take a nap, and there'd yeah. be a smile on his face. <laughs> <laughs> and that was not, I think, for the most part. I mean, occasionally, Karen, you know, would would giggle, and I'd say, well, what? And she said, well, I just wrote something funny. <laughs> and all my life, I wanted to be working on something and then laugh and then say, I just wrote something really funny. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it'd be such a great feeling. Yeah. But maybe if I ran six miles before I worked. Maybe, 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 maybe I would just be skip in some straight weird... to the nap. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also have some other tweets, uh, and I, I wanted to talk a little bit about titles because I I love titles, and they can sort of totally get me into a story or a project and make me really excited about it. Or they sometimes when after I've written something. I'll try to title it, and if I can't give it a title, that is a problem. I mm. think that's like pointing to a problem with the story um, or with the project. So you recently tweeted. I'm just going to start doing this for everyone. <laughs> I, I went through your Twitter feed. All of my questions are based <laughs> on Twitter. Now have a slightly less terrible title for this novel, The Kissing Song. Previous title was so terrible, I won't even say what it was. Unlikely to keep this title, perhaps can continue to squander writing time as I progress by coming up with better and also worse, worse, worse. So where do titles happen for you in your writing process? And then how do they get revised? Um, and and why do some get discarded? How do you know it's a bad title? I don't know. You know, usually I don't, usually the title that I have for a short story, you know, sort of, 
falls in my head at a certain point when I'm writing it, mm-hmm. and um, which is good because it's usually the, then the, the title of the document, which up until that point hasn't had a title. Um, and so those those I usually get, and then I keep them. And book titles are are much much trickier in this novel, I think, because um, you know, again, because I don't have all that much of it in terms of you know what I what I've got. I've still got a lot to do. Yeah. So nothing really feels feels fixed in stone yet. Right. And I did, but when I when I put it, I felt that in order to feel that I was going to continue working on it that I had to come up with a title but I, I also decided when I with the first title I thought I'm going to come up with the worst title ever so that every time when I open the document I will sort of be shocked by it um, and that that actually worked for a really long time oh, good. <laughs> great um, so probably people listening to our podcast I bet some of them have had a bad writing day or are feeling like a failure in one regard or another. Maybe there are even some of you in the audience right now feeling like failures. So I wonder if you have any words of encouragement or advice for people, for writers who are sort of slogging through it and they're in a tough spot and they're like, I'm going to distract myself and listen to this Kelly Link podcast. I'm so excited to listen to it. What what do you have to say to those people? Um, Anything to offer them kind of like this is what you do if you're feeling like a failure? Well, you know, I sort of, I guess one is, is sort of proscriptive in the sense that I was thinking, what are the, what are the failures that really trouble me as a writer? And I thought failures of kindness times when I, for whatever reason, have not had the energy or sort of been in the right space to, to be generous in the way that I would like to be as a writer in a community of other writers. Um, or even as a reader, to be as generous as, as sort of re- would even reward myself. Um, failures to sort of turn things in, or failures to answer correspondence in a timely fashion. Like, those actually really eat at me. Um, when I talked before coming out here to my friend Holly Black, we were talking about the idea of, of failure for a writer, and she said, I'm going to sort of paraphrase, she said, uh, the one of the things that, that she's figured out over this long career that she's now had and watching the careers of her friends is that there's kind of a relief um, in, in failing and then continuing to work. She said that, you know, success is great, but you, the more, when, when you're having success or a series of success, you think, well, what happens if it goes wrong? What happens if I fail in some way? And so when you do have a failure, you think, oh, well, that failed. But, you know, I'm going to work on this next thing now. And so that failure has taught me then, in actual fact, that that I can keep on going. Mm -hmm. And I do think that for anybody who does any kind of meaningful work, you're going to fail at some point. You know, you might fail when you're starting out. You might have a string of successes and then fail at pulling something off. You may have a couple of stories that are really easy or a, a long period of writing in which stuff is sort of comes to you like a gift, and then you're going to have a sense in which you think, I hate this and I want to give it up. And what you do is, if you keep on going, is you think, well, I guess that wasn't so bad after all. And so I, I don't think that in terms of the work that you do, that there's anything particularly Terrible, and I realize I'm saying this from a very privileged position in which, you know, I really have gotten to write the kind of stories that I want to write, and you know, am still getting to write the kind of stuff that I want to write. Um, so I take it with a grain of salt, because I think other people who maybe want a different kind of career, you know, the, the, maybe the path is a little bit more narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but all writers fail to, you know, get something done on the page that they had in their head. Um, but as a writer, you can go back and rework it, or else the next time that you sit down with a new project, all that material that was hard the first time around is, is still sort of percolating and is going to show up um, in, a, in a different form in, in the new work, maybe in a way that where you, you push a little bit farther. Definitely. I mean, I think something that I've really 
taken from your work and from um, reading interviews that you've given uh, and that I find really inspirational as a writer moving forward is that if you kind of set your own terms of success and failure, which is really what I see you having done your whole career, you know, like this is the sort of fiction I want to write and I want to write short stories and I'm going to write four books of short stories and I'm going to start my own press um, and create this opportunity for these stories that I love to come out of this press and the stories of other writers. Like you didn't take any of the shoulds from the literary world at large and sort of internalize them. You're just like, this is who I want to be. These are my terms and I can kind of succeed or fail on my own terms. Um, And to me, that's really inspiring. Like I just want to succeed or fail on my own terms and not have someone else sort of set the standards for what success or failure are. And I think a lot of writers have a hard time doing that because there's such a sort of literary establishment um, kind of built up already. And that's why I just think you're a badass and you're amazing. I'm so glad you were on the podcast. Um, we we will have a few minutes now, actually, um, for questions. But before that, can we just thank Kelly so much for taking time to sit down with us? Thank you. Thanks. And I, I have failed because I did tweet that I really wanted to ask you a zombie-themed failure <laughs> question, and I could not come up with any. So if anyone has anything related to zombies, please don't hold back. Any questions for Kelly? I'll go ahead and ask the first one. Um, Kelly, you seem to have this incredible ability to transcend um, literary literary categorization. And at the Writer's House, we have a huge genre group that gets together twice a month. They're called the Violet Realm, and they're fantasy and sci-fi. And many of them, once they heard you were coming, were really excited because you're sitting here at Prairie Lights. It's a distinguished literary bookstore, and at the same time, you represent a thing which I think goes right along with what Rachel said about being on your own terms. Um, what advice would you have for people who have a real love of, of genre and, and write in sort of um, outside of that, that traditional literary world but are constantly trying to both make it inside in an acceptability way and also really focusing on their own craft and trying to um, work on self-improvement? Right. Well, I mean, I should say that I did not in any way uh, set out to write any sort of transcendent short story that I went through an MFA program, but what I really loved were were genre stories. Um, And there are literary writers whose work I also love, and I loved at the time, Um, but where I wanted to be published and where I wanted to have my career was in science fiction and fantasy magazines. Um, So, you know, it's... I, 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 there does seem to be there's just a lot more movement between um, between the literary genre the fiction let's call it fiction since that's what's on the shelves and um, and science fiction fantasy that a lot of my favorite contemporary writers are people who um, you know publish at least short stories in, in both kind of markets Um uh, Carmen Maria Machado, whose work I love, you know, has a, a collection coming out, which is being published as a, you know, as a literary collection. But many of those stories were were published in genre magazines, um, and so I and and many of the literary magazines, you know, those those editors respond, um, you know, to to work which would also fit into science fiction fantasy. Having said that. You know, I I don't know. I don't know at the moment um, what 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 the what you know what what the divide feels like as much as I as much as I used to. Um, that it seems to me as if work migrates back and forth, but I don't know when people are writing. You know, I teach Clarion every couple of years, the workshop that I went through that is specifically for genre writers. Um, and I, those writers often go on to sell to to both kinds of markets, but I I don't know what it's like to try and, and sell work. Um, I I do know that that any writer should 
write the kinds of stories that they feel most interested in. And I, I think the only caveat to that is you should read really widely. You know, if you're writing science fiction and fantasy and that's really what you want to write, then just read really widely in those genres, that there is so much work, which is what I think of as heart of genre work, um, as well as work which is more on the fringes and, you know, really, really be reading as, as widely as, as possible to figure out what's of interest to you. Um, and the, the thing that I, I feel now that is read genres that, that are not the genres that you write in also, and frankly, read bad books, read really bad books to see, read bad books which sell a lot of copies in order to see what it is that makes people stick to those stories. Because I think the one thing that workshops, genre workshops, but also um, MFA workshops can't really teach is what makes a story work even when sentence by sentence the prose is terrible. And the more I write, the more interested I am in books which are written in terrible prose, but which still are so incredibly hooky, you can't put them down. Because I would love to be able to describe to somebody how you pull that off. (laughs) That was a wonderful answer. Anyone else like to ask Kelly a question? In the back. So I'm a very uh, tactile person. I love to know how you work, like what you touch in your, like what does your desk look like? Mm. Do you write on a computer, a typewriter? I write on a laptop, um, and I, uh, you know, and I can work in pretty much any space. I, right now I'm working on planes. Um, I just have my headphones on, and I am listening to music as I work. I have a playlist that I will subtract or add things to. I have a really good friend who, when she's working on projects that have a deadline, she will make herself listen to the same song over and over again <laughs> until she finishes, <laughs> which she finds really effective. I'm sure. Although I, I feel that you would have flashbacks whenever you heard that song on the radio. <laughs> I want to know what that song, does the song change from project to project? Yeah, she, she picks a new song because wow. I think some of the, by the time she finishes something, she's listened to them a yeah, hundred times. She can't you know, ever just, listen yeah. to it again. Yeah. yeah. I think it was just such a wonderful interview that you answered all of the <laughs> questions, which is a probably a good ending to Kelly Link realizing that you succeeded even at the fail site. <laughs> so everyone, please head on over to Hancher after this. I think you're gonna you're free to maybe sign some books if people want to come up and have Kelly sign a book. And just thank you again so much pleasure. for being Absolutely. here. Thanks with also us. to Prairie Lights, to Kathleen, to Jan, and to everyone who always makes us feel so welcome, and to the Mission Creek team who organized all of this. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud. We have more great episodes coming up, including Alexander Chi, National Book Award finalist Carmen Maria Machado, and winner of the Colorado Prize for Poetry, Lauren Haldeman. This episode was edited and produced by yours truly, with production support by Andrea Wilson and Mark Palanzak. As ever, the Failsafe is a joint effort of Draft, the Journal of Process, and the Iowa Writers' House, with special thanks to the Iowa Arts Council. I'm Rachel Yoder. Thanks for listening.